Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning church and happy new year today's reading is taken from the book of deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 18 at the end of this reading i will say this is the word of the lord can we respond by saying thanks be to god about zebulon he said rejoice zebulon in your going out and you issachar in your tents this is the word of the lord I wonder how much practice she gave for that one. (laughs) Thank you, Faye. Good morning, everyone. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes. As uh, Emmanuel said, it's a wonderful thing. Last time we saw each other was in, well, I don't know, Shah. Depends on how many of you have been hanging out. But last time we saw each other was in 2022. And isn't it a wonderful thing that God has been faithful to bring us together in 2023? Thank you, Lord. And for those who are watching as well, maybe some of our family who have uh, traveled or some people who are joining us for the first time, we're so happy to have you. Um, over the course of, uh, the course of 2022, um, and 2022 was, I do want to say this, you know, many times we thank God for how great it was, you know, in 2022. And I do know that there are people here 2022 probably was the worst year of your life. Um, and maybe somebody watching as well. Yes, for some of us, it was probably the best year of our life. But many of us, 2022 could have been a very difficult year. Um, but you know, one of the things about the Christian hope is that as long as there is God, nothing that troubles you is ever going to be permanent. Because God himself is the one who never changes. He's always good. He's always kind. And so because of him, we can continue to have hope. And so as I was reflecting to 2022, God had given us a word for 2022, which we themed throughout the year, which was, do you remember what the word for 2022 was? Invitation. And with that, we're focusing on the external dimensions of the gospel. But as as I went through the year 2022, there was an impression on my heart. The funny thing about the word for this year was it didn't come like this. It came, it was cooking over a period of time. And I think this one is one I'm most, you know, I would say most convicted about. I really do believe that God has given us a prophetic direction for 2023. I can say that with all certainty. You see, the church was never meant to just go in its own direction. It was always meant to go in a prophetic direction. You know, a phrase that a, a, a verse we are very familiar with is Proverbs 29, verse 18. Um, in some translations, it will say, without vision, the people perish. In the NIV, it says, without revelation, people perish. Which is another way of saying, without prophecy, the people perish. In thinking about what God did in the children of Israel, the prophet Hosea says, 
by a prophet I delivered my people Israel, and by a prophet I cared for them. The church has always meant to proceed in a prophetic direction. Now, by saying a prophetic direction, don't think weird people that actually are always on the beach trying to ask you to, you know, bath and be naked and then God will speak to you. No, not that kind of thing. Prophecy should always be set within the boundaries of the theology of Scripture. But it is saying something. It's saying that God has spoken through Scripture, but God continues to speak in a way that does not violate Scripture, but goes beyond Scripture. In a way that is very particular to you at the moment, but does not violate any teaching of Scripture. Amen? And so that's why it's important for us to always know, specifically in our lives, specifically as a church, where is God moving us to? And so whilst we have a spirit of thanksgiving for all he's done in 2022, I think you should have a spirit of anticipation for what he's going to do in 2023 because, listen to me, I actually think, based on what I will share, that the Lord is, I was about to use the word probably, no, I would say this is the most significant redirection that we are going to have since we ever started as a church. And I think it's a redirection for the better. I don't want to say, when I say redirection, it's not like we've been going off course. But that God is further pushing us to the direction he wanted us to go. So I'll need some of our time today as I, as I lay out our vision for 2023. I hope you are with me. All right. So I'll start with this. Um, Bain & Company is a global management consultancy firm, one of the biggest in the world. And in 2016, they did a landmark study. It was in conjunction with the intelligence unit of The Economist. They did a landmark study on over 2,000 of their employees. And they were trying to ask one question. They were trying to answer one question, and it was this. What does it take to be an inspirational leader? What does it take to be an inspirational leader? Why were they focusing on inspiration? And not, for instance, motivation. You see, because we often interchange those two things, but they don't mean the same thing. What's the difference between inspiration and motivation? Let me give you an example. Is the difference between, especially if you went to a Nigerian university, is the difference between reading to pass an exam and reading to improve yourself on a job that you love? How many of us know there are two different things? You see, you are motivated to read for, to pass the exam. We cram. You see, you, right? Or sometimes you say, let it come in and then bejade. That's what we used to say in, in, in my own unit. Like, bejade was, when you, somebody asks you, why is this thing like this? You say, I don't know, it's just bejade. That's what the thing said. So you ask, what is the why? So we read, we are motivated to read, to pass the exam. This is why two months after they asked you what, was, what you wrote in that exam, you say, I don't know. But you are inspired to do something, to read for something you love. In other words, motivation is about bringing an external force to bear on a person to enable them to produce results irrespective of whether they feel it or not. It's bringing an external force to bear on a person to produce results irrespective of their feelings on the issue or not. Whereas inspiration is not about bringing an external force. It's about an internal force. You are trying to captivate something that is within the person to also produce results. Let me put it another way. Motivation 
is a, is a pushing force. Inspiration is a pulling force. Motivation compels. Inspiration propels. Motivation is inorganic. Inspiration is organic. And as a result of that, the results that come from motivation are short-term. The results that come from inspiration are long-term. Are we following now? And so they were trying to find out what does it take to be an inspirational leader because they want people to be inspirational leaders are more effective. They come up with about 33 distinct attributes. 33. Now, those 33, some of them included things like, um, you know, uh, uh, the ability of the leader to get the team focused or the ability of the leader to uh, write out a compelling vision that people can buy into, the ability of the leader to foster harmony in the team, the ability of the leader to uh, follow through on promises, all of these things. But above all of them, one quality stood over and beyond everything. And it was the quality that most of the employees wanted to develop. You know what it was called? Centeredness. Centeredness. Somebody saying, what was that? Centeredness is a mindful state that enables you to engage your entire self in being fully present in every situation. It's a mindful state that enables you to engage your entire self in being fully present in every situation. Maybe that, that uh, definition doesn't help. Let me explain further. Centered people are often people who are never flustered. They are always in self-control. Self-control. Remember, it says that you are able to have your your uh, your entire self fully present in every situation. Most of us, when things are going well in our lives, we are fully present. The moment something goes off, the moment somebody breaks up with you, the moment you made a bad investment, the moment you actually were caught in a terrible sin, you know what happens? We lose ourselves. And we lose ourselves not because of the thing that happened. We lose ourselves because we don't have, we're not centered. Quite often, the fastest human beings in the world, we often talk about them having a low center of gravity. Why? Because it shows that they have a lot of stability. Centeredness brings stability. And so centered people are never frustrated. They always seem to be in control. They cope well with stress. They are able to listen deeply and empathize with others. There's an internal strength and a calmness to them that makes them not just highly productive, but actually when you look at people like that, you say, I want to be like that person. How many of us want to be centered? Now, here's what the researchers found out about centeredness a little bit more. And why it was so central to inspirational leadership. That because these people led their lives very well, they were able to lead others better. Because they led their lives very well, they were able to lead others better. And the heart of this is really this. Because they prioritized cultivation of their internal lives, they were able to excel in their external lives. They prioritized the cultivation of their internal lives. That made them centered. Therefore, they were able to, be, to, were able to excel in their what? external lives. 
What does that have to do with our theme of the year? I am glad you asked. As I said last year, we spoke about invitation and God spoke to us about being focused on the external and the missional dynamics of our faith. That is, the gospel God has given to us is meant to go out. We are meant to go out with it. Now listen to me, we are not done with that. It's not like, and that was 2022, now. <laughs> we can't leave those people outside. No, that continues. But we need to do it better. And for us to do it better, you know what we need to be? We need to be spiritually centered. You see, while many organizations, some of the top organizations, they focus on secular techniques for growing centeredness in their employees. You know what is often missing? It does not encompass the spiritual angle from a Christian standpoint. And we as Christians, we don't just believe in centeredness in ourselves. We believe what? In centeredness who? In God. We don't just believe in meditation within ourselves. We believe in communion with God. And hear this and hear this very well. If we are adequately going to represent God with our lives externally, then we must be committed to holistically furnishing our lives, say it with me, internally. In other words, if you are going to go out for him, you must be deeply in him. So, with all of that being said, and you may have already started to get a clue, what is our theme for the year? Our theme for the year, 2023, is actually not one word. Well, it's one word, but it's a compound word. And the word is inside out. And you may have got that. The clue was in the song that was sang before, right? So some, some of you caught it. Now, I'm going to explain that because that's what our whole text is all about. But I'm telling you, you know, based on the things that be meditating upon and the way the Lord has been speaking to one, I can't lie. I thought I was expectant about 2022. I am expectant in 2023. I really do believe that this will be our best year yet. If you really do believe that, say amen louder. And so in this sermon, I will lay out the basic concept that will hopefully set the tone for the many different things we will do this year. Will above all else my purpose remains the art of losing myself in bringing you praise everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all fame my heart and my soul my heart and my soul I give you control Consume me from the inside out, Lord. 
As we are going to look at this sermon, titled Inside Out, we are going to look at it under these headings. Going in and going out. First, let me just tell you something. What, 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 what's this new year? 20 what? What's the last uh, figure? All right, so normal service will, normal service will resume next week. Uh, it's don't, don't, it's don't get too used to it. Two points today, yes. But there's a third point. I'm just not announcing it now. Uh, all right, let's go in. Go in, in. Go in, in. Now, this text is based on uh, Moses, one of Moses' last words, you know, Moses wrote five books. Deuteronomy is the last book, right? And this is towards the end of Deuteronomy. So this is part of Moses' last words to the 12 tribes of Israel before his death. But we're focusing just on, he spoke to all the tribes, but we're focusing just on two of those tribes. And he says one thing to both of them. If you really see the sentence structure, it seems like he's saying one to the first one, and then the other one is saying another thing. But no, he's actually saying the same thing to both of them. You know what he's telling both of them? He says, rejoice. Rejoice. Now, why are they to rejoice? It almost seems like for two different opposing things. Zebulon is meant to rejoice. Why? In is going out. But Issachar, on the other hand, is meant to rejoice in what? Is what? In, in his tent, or in another way, in his going in. Now, it seems like they are opposing themselves, but they are not contradictory because what is going on here, when you say the going in and going out, is it's a figure of speech called a merism. And a merism really is when you combine two parts of a whole, two seemingly contrasting, or two contrasting parts of a whole to refer to the whole. Two contrasting parts of the whole to refer to the whole. So, for instance, if I said, oh, I was searching everywhere for this thing. I can say I was searching high and low, right? High and low are contrasting. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. By that, he's just talking about he created the world to contrasting parts, right? Or it's like when Anita Baker says, I want you to love me body and soul. She's really basically saying, I want you to love me my whole person. So this is a merism. Hook, line, and sinker. Again, you are talking about a whole, but you are just talking about two contrasting parts of the whole to refer to the same thing. So when we are talking about going in and going out here, we are literally just saying that the whole that we are referring to is the spiritual dynamic of the life of a believer or the life of God's people. It's the same thing. It is the spiritual dynamic of the life of God's people, but you are talking about the two contrasting so essentially, we are really talking about one thing. But for us to talk about that one thing, I want us to talk about the two contrasting elements. Are we still following? Now, but we're not going to do it in the order of Moses. We're going to do it in the order of their birth. Right? Because in Genesis 30, 17 to 20, you can see that Zebulon does not come before Issachar. Zebulon comes after. Issachar is the fifth born of Jacob's first wife, Leah, and Zebulon is the sixth born. And so we're going to look at Issachar first, the going in, and then we'll look at the going out. Okay, so let's begin. No, let me not use this one. They've not called me. 
with all this promotion I've been doing, they've not called me. So I'm not, I'm, I'm going to tea now. Now, so let's start. So I was thinking about, you know, as a, as a communicator, many times we often think, how can, how can I let these people know that I'm smart? This is the one sure way to, as a communicator, if you want people to know you're smart, you can say nonsense throughout everything you say, but as long as you bring in a quotation from a Greek philosopher that you've never read before. So I'm going to bring in my token Greek philosopher. His name is Heraclitus. And Heraclitus is famous for one particular quote. You don't know any other thing except this quote. He says this, that the only constant in life is change, or change is the only constant in life. You see, you guys know a Greek philosopher. What else did the guy say? You don't know, but we all sound smart. All around us is changing. Just look at Lagos. If you leave Lagos for a year and a half or two, and you come back, you may lose your way. When I came, I, I, I visited, well, at one point when I was living abroad, I, 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 I visited in 2013 for my younger sister's wedding, but I hadn't been back since 2010. So that was three years. And literally, I got lost when I was going from, um, um, where's that NU, what's NU called, the fourth roundabout. Well, there was a roundabout there at the time. I got lost, I was going from there to Marwa, and it used to be very simple before, but I actually turned to Freedom Way because things had changed so much. Some of you are looking at me with judgmental eyes. It's not your fault. Don't worry. God, God will catch you too. You'll get lost one day because things are changing. But it's not just the things around us that are changing. You are changing. You are changing physically. Some of you had a lot of hair in your early 20s. Now, you still have a lot of hair. You just bought it. Yeah, yeah, we just, I, I always have to get one of those every year, just one of those. So I've done it first, first, first of the year, right? Some of, some of you, some of you, your church members used to talk about how big your stomach was when you were preaching. And then all of a sudden now your stomach has gone down. <laughs> we are changing physically. We're also changing socially. Getting new friends, losing new friends. Some of us are dating, some of us are engaged, some of us got married. We're changing financially, right? Some of us, the older that we are getting, at least even though people say we're getting older, we're losing our hair, at least our bank account is going up. And so those people that have been abusing you, as if they pain them, they go, they switch you. So change is the only constant in life. The question is not whether you are changing. The question is what are you changing into? And if I can push that question a bit further into our internal lives, what is your soul changing into? See, the answer to that question largely depends on another question, and that question is what are you being changed by? Because when it comes to our soul, Rich Viodas, who is a pastor in New York, says that you only have two options. Shallow shaping or deep formation. Shallow shaping or deep formation. That's the answer to how are you, or how are you being changed. Shallow shaping or deep formation. Let me give an example. For those of us who listened to our mothers when they taught us how to cook, because not all of you listened, we know this, just basic food. I want to eat rice. You get the rice, put it in boiling water. Let's say we heat it for 
approximately about 30 minutes, do nothing. And eventually what happens, the rice comes up, you are happy. What happens to the rice? The rice changes, doesn't it? And it changes into a form that is desirable, so it is edible. No problem. Picture this, though, because some of us like to experiment and say that your mother didn't really know what she was talking about. Why are we so simplistic? So take the same rice, boil it for five minutes. After that, deep fry it for five minutes. After that, sun dry it for five minutes. After that, steam it for five minutes. After that, bake it for five minutes. And after that, pan fry it for five minutes. Would the rice change? Would the rice change? It's just that it would not change to a desirable entity, isn't it? Isn't it? What's the problem? On the one hand, one was deep focused in terms of the way it was being changed. It was heat applied for 30 minutes. In this other one, there was still change happening for 30 minutes. But now, all of a sudden, you have different things that are changing it. And so it cannot come out in any meaningful way. We live in a very overstimulated world. So many things are trying to change us, and we keep responding to them. And so you should ask yourself the question, if you are being shallowly shaped in this way, what is the state of your soul? Work, traffic, calls, smartphones, smartphones, more social media, just even the world of social media. You know, social media is very funny. Just think about if when you are scrolling for 10 minutes in maybe TikTok or Instagram or, in fact, you know, sometimes you do, you scroll to TikTok, then you quickly change to Instagram, then you quickly change to, no, you guys don't do Facebook, right? But you start to keep changing. But in 10 minutes, you will be able to go through tragedy, then comedy, then gossip, then sports, then gossip again, then something educational, then somebody is DMing you, then something inspirational. Am I lying? And what is this doing to us? You are just like that rice. Five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes here, five minutes there. What comes out at the end of the day? We are now deeply formed in being shallowly shaped. And this is why we have things like we are deeply formed in impulsiveness. We are deeply formed in having a low attention span. And also we are deeply formed in being reactionary. We are not centered. But that's just our, what you call our secular lives. But even spiritual lives. Let me ask you, how are you being shaped by God? Morning, two-minute prayer. As I'm going to work, I'm listening to the sermon that I have been listening to for the last three or four days. I get ten minutes inside. I start listening to this particular song, but immediately they tell me about one new Bonner Boy song. So I quickly go to Bonner. You see, you go to Nathaniel Bassi, you go to Bonner Boy. You go to Whiskey, then you go back to, I don't know, uh, uh, Judy K. You keep moving up and down. Don't worry, that was 2022. 2023 is going to be different, isn't it? <laughs> short bus of sermon, short bus of Bible reading. I'm going to do community. I do for two weeks. Then after, I'm out again. Then I come back two months after. I'm after I'm in again. And so we are like that rice. Five minutes here, five minutes there. Let me tell you, you are changing, but not into something desirable. And then you say, well, but God is doing the changes. It's true. And God will always use you as he's changing you. But if God is, if you are being shaped in a shallow way, God will use you in a shallow way too. In other words, if we are not being deeply formed 
And we are being shyly shaped. We are not being fully effective in the way God wants to use us. God is not about shallow shaping. God is about deep formation. My dear children, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is what? Formed in you. Galatians 4.19. Or Romans 8 verse 29. For those he predestined, he, he, for those he, he knew, he predestined, and he predestined them to be conformed into the image of Christ. Christ formed in us, we formed in Christ. Why is God forming us into the image of Christ? Remember I said that we are being, if we are being shallowly shaped, God cannot use us properly. But to use us properly, he forms us deeply into the one that he used perfectly. So if God wants to use you properly, he must deeply form you. How? In the one he used perfectly. He forms us in Christ. Deep formation. Now how do we achieve this deep formation? Uh, the only way it happens is when we go in. Rejoice, Issachar, in your going in. Now, what happens here, there are two parts that are being played. There is the God part, and there is our part. The God part, and then our part. In this going in. So, let's talk about the God part first. Now, as I said in the introduction, unlike secular-centeredness, um, which aims really for... The whole aim is, remember I said that centeredness means stability within yourself. So secular-centeredness methods aim at you trying to discover yourself. Now, a lot of um, organizations, well, not a lot, but the, the few ones that can afford, uh, the consultants that do these kind of things, right? They, f they employ this method. And let me not lie to you, a lot of it is good. There are people that will come in. First of all, it looks a little bit spooky, but actually, when you think about the science behind it, it's actually not bad. There are a lot of breathing techniques, there are a lot of meditation and all of those things. But what is essentially at the, the base of it is for us to get more familiar with ourselves. In other words, for us to go into our tent. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells this body, calls it our tent. The methods are focused on going into your tent. And it says, rejoice, Issachar, in your tents. However, building Christian-centeredness is not rooted in, first of all, going into your tent. It is rooted in going into the sacred tent of the Lord. You know why? Because we cannot find, as Christians, we don't believe that you find yourself in yourself. We believe that you find yourself in God. You know why? Because... We were not, if we are trying to find ourselves in ourselves, we are saying that the very foundation of human beings is another human being. As though we were created or we were formed in Adam's image. But really, we are replicated in Adam's image in some sense. But at the base of who we are, it's not in Adam's image we are replicated, it's in God's image we are created. We are created human beings. Amen. And so when we are trying to find ourselves, we don't go to ourselves first. We go to who? God. That's what Augustine said. God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in you. 
And so Christian-centeredness is about entering into God's sacred tent first before we can really find ourselves in our own tent. But the moment I say that, you know we have a problem. A big problem. Because Psalm 15 asks the question, who really can go into the sacred tent of the Lord? Psalm 15 verse 2. And it tells you this. Oh, go back to verse 1. Who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain, Lord? And he, gives, he tells us exactly who. The one whose walk is blameless. Who does what is righteous. Who speaks the truth from their heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not you. All right? Turn to your right. Say, that's not you. Turn to your left. Say, that's not you. And say, it is certainly not me. I thought some of you would say, it's certainly not you, since I said me. Uh, no one can ascend into the sacred tent of the Lord because no one is blameless. And you say, are you sure? Because I know this person that I know. I'm not, not me, but my mom was told this. Or maybe you on your worst day you say you don't know me. I have conquered that. I am now blameless. You didn't read the, the previous psalm before, Psalm 15. The previous psalm, Psalm 14, tells you exactly what you should know. It says this, Psalm 14 verse 2. Um, the Lord looked down. Uh, yeah, okay, all right. Okay. This is a new year. They'll be better. No, actually, they're better. Let me read this. Psalm 14, verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there is any who seek God. To see if there is any who seek God. Verse 3. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one that does good. And in case you are saying, well, you see, there's a qualifier on the all. There's different kinds of alls. There are different kinds of no one. He finishes, he says, no, not even one. So if trying to find ourselves is really about going into the sacred tent of the Lord, and we cannot go into the sacred tent of the Lord, we have a problem. In other words, you are not just going to be over burdened or overwhelmed by the busyness of life. You know what we are overwhelmed by? We are overwhelmed by our sins. Part of the fundamental reason why we are not centered is not first and foremost the busyness outside. The busyness is really just an explication of the sin that we have. So who shall go into the tent of the Lord so that they can be centered? Nobody can do it on their own. But God but God. I was talking with somebody recently, um, actually this past week, counseling someone. And, you know, she was telling me about how terrible a life she's lived. She was doing something constantly that she knows that God does not approve of. But basically she says, it's not that I want to do this, it's not that I don't know that it's wrong. It's just, I've done it too many times. I've done it too many times. She said, and the truth is, see, if somebody does something to me one time, she said that I forgive them. If they do it to me a second time and they are genuinely sorry, I will warn them, but I will forgive them. If they do it to me the third time, say, Amber. How many of you are like that? How many? 
yeah, yeah, I'm like that too. In fact, I'm not even sure if I go to the third one. By the second one, you are, I will forgive you, but I will keep you very far away. I think. I think. Maybe even the first time. It depends on the thing. Most of us, what will happen after three? She said, after third strike, you are gone. And so she said, I have been doing this thing for years at this point. So I don't expect, she said, I don't expect, I don't believe that God will forgive me because I, I have bar. I don't go to church. I know about all of these things, but I'm doing it over and over and over again. And do you know what I told her? I said, you are very right. You are very right. There is absolutely nothing about, wrong about what you said. Because even me, myself, strike one, happy, strike two, but strike three, you are gone. And it logically makes sense the way you have put it together. Everything makes sense about what you said, except the application. Because you have thought that God is like you and I. And actually, with him, there is great mercy. He says, if you should mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? He said, but with you, there is great mercy. We said in, from Psalm 103 this morning, as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. So this is why in Psalm 65 verse 3, look at what he says. When we were overwhelmed by our sins, you what? Forgave our transgressions. In another translation, the word forgive there is, you made atonement for our transgressions. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody today. And so 2022 was actually the year where you are most sinful. And you know it. Let me tell you, there is a God whose mercy and kindness can, over, whose mercy and kindness can overtake your sinfulness. Sometimes we are too familiar with this message. You say, it's not the message of grace. We've preached it. We know it. And that is the problem. We become too familiar that we actually start to think God is not like that. I am here to tell you that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Because without this, let me tell you, you will never truly find yourself. God makes a way for us to enter into his sacred tent. God comes himself. And God bears our sin. God bears our shame. He makes atonement by actually suffering our punishment. So that we who were once outside can now be brought near. Oh, the great message of the grace of God. Whenever you compare the most kind person you've ever known to God, just know they are so far away. Listen, the kindest and the best person you know in this world, you are infinitely closer to that person than that person is to God. That is the grace and the kindness of God. He's good and he is kind. I don't know if you know that song. You are good. You are kind. I have never seen your kind. I'm devoted to your grace and forever to your name. Sing it again. You are good. You are good. You are kind. I have never seen your kind. I'm devoted. also love and his light you are love you are light he makes all things all right you make everything all 
we are accepted by his grace forever bear his name and forever bear your name sing with me one more time you are love you are light you make everything all right i'm accepted by your grace and forever I have never seen your kind. I'm devoted to your praise and forever bear your He's such a good and kind God. And so he sends Jesus to make atonement for our sins. But you see that Psalm 65 that we read, there's a way we can read it and say, God has saved me, I am forgiven. What is left for me to do is for me to do good. Actually, you are not wrong. God saves us so that we can be devoted to good works. It is true. Titus 3 verse 8 tells us that. But that really doesn't get to the heart of why God saved us. It wasn't first to do good because let me tell you something, there's a way you can do good and that doing good for God is keeping you away from God. You do good, so you think that God should then owe you something. But Psalm 65, after it says in verse 3 that God made, God made uh, atonement for us, he tells us the reason why he makes atonement for us. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. God first deals with the issue of our sin so that he can deal with the issue of our distance. The reason why God created, the reason why God redeemed you is not just so that you can do good things. It's not just so that you can learn more theology. It's so that you can know him better. We go into the sacred tent of the Lord as forgiving people so that we can know truly who God is. Are you following me? Maybe I can illustrate this way. I like to read a little bit. But there are some authors that I have read more than others. One of those authors, the person I would say in the last 10 years that has affected my ministry more than anybody else, the way I think about ministry, the guy called Tim Keller. And maybe up until the last three books, I had read virtually all his books. Shaped my thinking. And there's a way that actually, because I had read so much of him, I, had a rela- I have a genuine relationship with him. You know, if you read somebody so much, you genuinely establish a relationship with them. Because as you know their thoughts, you start to know who a little bit of who they are. And so I remember, like, at some point, I said, ah, there's even, if Tim Keller is doing any Q&A, I don't even need to listen to it because I could answer all the questions, all the answers with the answers that he'll give. I could listen to him and I read almost all his books. Are you following me? But even though I had a real relationship with Tim Keller, I had a real relationship with the thoughts of Tim Keller. I didn't have a relationship with Tim Keller. In many ways, do you know you can have a relationship with dead authors because you have a relationship with their thoughts. Their thoughts give descriptions of them. It's one thing to meet Tim Keller in his writing. It's another thing to meet him in person. 
Now, though I have met him in person, what I've just established is that Tim Keller is not a set of words and a set of thoughts and a set of philosophies. Tim Keller is an a person. All the while, when I was reading his books, when I was listening to his messages, when I was watching all of those things, I was meeting him in one sense, but I had not met the person of Tim Keller. Are you following me? But it's another thing to meet the person of Tim Keller and for me to not ask about what is written in the book and just say, Tim, what makes you scared at night? Tim, what is the, your favorite breakfast? What is the thing that you hope the most about your children? At this point, I'm having a personal relationship with him. There's a way I can just have a relationship with descriptions about him. There's a way I can meet him face to face. But there's another way that I can know him deeply. I want to ask you this question. Have you been having a relationship with descriptions about God? Maybe you've read the word of God so much. Maybe you can give all the answers. God is saying we must move from a place where we have a relationship with the word of God and move to having a relationship with God of the word. God is a person. And as we meet him in that place, we become centered. Because what does it mean for a Christian to be really centered? It means to be full of faith. It is when you are full of faith, you are not flustered. He says, though the mountains may crash into the sea I know that there is a river it is to be full of faith and it says without faith it is impossible to please God why because the one that must come to God must not just believe good things about God they must believe that what God exists and then that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him you meet God face to face he exists but you know his character he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him have you met this God have you been distant from God because of the good things that you do from God may God restore that kind of relationship in 2023 when we go in we are going into the one who did all for us so that we can have a relationship with him. You see, it is only at that point that truly he can form us. Because we are being formed at a distance. But God actually wants to form us. You see what he says in Psalm 65? He says about blessed are those that you bring to your court. But in Psalm 92, he talks about those who are planted in his court. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of God. Guys, make no mistake about it. We've been shaped for a while and God has used us mightily. I'm not trying to belittle the experiences we have with God. But can we say this together? There is more. As we come closer to God, it's not about somebody giving you seven steps to becoming the better you. It's not about learning yet another principle. I'm not saying those things are bad, but I'm telling you, there is something about being in the presence of God in that all things become shadows in the light of Him and you are transformed deeply. The difference with being in the presence of God is that you now become like the rice that is there for 30 minutes. It is now the force of the goodness and the kindness of God that is on you and it is done in a focused attention, a way. Amen. That's how we become formed. But it's not just that God does the part. We have our own part. Because somebody is saying, 
since it is God in Psalm 65, he said, blessed are those who you bring near to live in your court. So it is God that does it. I say, I'm waiting for God to bring me near, not near. I've been waiting. God hasn't done it. After all, God is sovereign. Can I say this? Don't be foolish, huh? Don't, don't, let's not be foolish. And let's not be, let's not try and deceive ourselves. You see, God does his thing. We do our thing. And when we talk about that, it's not that God does half and we do half. That's, that's not the way it works. God does his own 100. We will do our own 100. You can't really control God. We already know what God's desire is to bring you. Here is your own part. You said that God brings us near. Abby. You know what Isaiah 55 verse 6 says? It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is what? He is already near. Call on him. See, because part of the problem is this. We start to take God for granted. Let me give you this example. A couple of years ago, well, just before my wife and I got married, she used to often talk about going to the beach, going to the beach, going to the beach, going to the beach. Uh, yeah, going to the beach. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Then we got married. And she was always talking about going to the beach. Ah, when we go to the beach, go, go to the beach, go to the beach. Eh, okay, we'll go to the beach. No be beach. But honestly, I did not put it in my calendar. I really not didn't think about it. Because it's in a beach. Then one time, I think this was 2015, we were, we had to go, we were in Florida. We had to go for something, we had to see somebody. And the person we went to see said, ah, you should do it in a place called Boca Raton. I said, ah, you should go to the beach. I, like, I told her, like, yes, ah, it's okay, okay, let's go. Finally. So, we go on the beach, we are strolling, you know, like two lovers will. Forget that we are arguing a lot that morning. And thing was just, you know, the waves were going on our legs because we are Africans, we don't go inside. <laughs> you understand? You know these things. So we are going, and then she says, Do you know why I've always asked you to go to the beach? I said, Why? She said, This is my first time in the beach. And then it occurred to me, she had never lived in a place in the beach and virtually all my life I lived in Lagos apart from the time I was abroad but I lived all my life in Lagos and so the beach became common to me the beach was always there but I did not see it for the special thing that it was the beach was always there it was always shaping how I lived my life because if you lived around Lekki as I did the beach was the place was very humid the beach shapes Lagos. If you go to Abuja, you say it's very hot, but Abuja is dry. But Lagos is very hot. But Lagos, it is actually very uncomfortable. The beach is always there, but we don't see it because it is there. And in many ways, God, who is all around us, is not far from us. But he has become like that beach. We just see God there and we actually don't see him there again. Because we are so distracted. It's not that we are blind. It's not that God isn't there. It's that we are blind. But not that we are blind to not see anything. It's that we are seeing everything except God himself. But he is not far from us. That's what he says in Paul says in Acts chapter 17. For those who think he's so far away, because he says, seek him whilst he is near. He said, God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and what? Find him. Why? Because he is not far from us. And then he says, Why? It is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Is there something rising up in your heart that you want to reach out to God, that you want to seek out to God? Because let me tell you, if you do this, he says you will find him. 
May you find the Lord this year in the name of Jesus. May you rekindle a fire. May the Lord rekindle a fire for him that has long been extinguished in the name of Jesus Christ. He is here. And when we do so, we enter into our prime. Because listen, you will never be fully who you are meant to be if you don't have an intimate relationship with God. That's what Job says. Job says, in my prime, I had an intimate relationship with God. All for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate word, friendship, blessed my house. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't you want that? I know I do. And so this year, there's going to be an intentional hungry pursuit of God that will characterize everything we do in City Church. I hope to hear a loud amen. amen. We'll keep doing some of the things we do, but at the center of it, we are saying, no, no, no. We don't just want to do things for God. We want to do things for God in the way that God will do it and the way that God wants us to do it. And the only way that can happen is not when we are shallowly shaped by God, but when we are deeply formed by him which leads me to the next one going out because you see the closer you are to God the more you rejoice in going in but the more you rejoice in going in the more you rejoice in what going out notice what Job says he says oh for the days when I was in my prime when God's intimate friendship he didn't say blessed me. He said, well, blessed what? That is what happens internally eventually goes out. It is on the inside, but it goes what? Outside. Oh, we are going to rejoice also in going out. And I want to tell you four things, four reasons why, at least four reasons why we will rejoice in going out. Because notice it says, Zebulon, rejoice Zebulon in your going out. Why would we rejoice in our going out? four things quickly first we will rejoice because we will see communal fruitfulness communal fruitfulness please avoid this mistake on this journey because I'm sure there are some of us who are already or have been pursuing this intimate relationship with God avoid this common mistake intimacy with God should not lack or lead to lack of intimacy with his people it's like the person who says I love you but I don't love your wife let me just say if you ever came to me with that I will tell you how much I don't love you if you love me and you don't love my wife oh that's a problem Intimacy with God should never lead to an isolated life. Why? Because, listen, this is how the dynamic works. Remember I said it's a merism. It's speaking about the one entity, but it's a combination of the contrasting part. Going in with God leads to going out from God to going in with God's people. Maybe I can explain it this way. Because this thing is not about some kind of spiritual self-indulgence. We spoke about cedars of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. Let's talk about trees, can we? I recently learned about the tallest trees in the world. Do you know what tallest trees in the world are called? 
then you don't know. You don't know. After knowing a Greek philosopher, you don't know. They are called cedar redwoods. Cedar redwoods, right? Cedar redwoods, they grow in... Do I have them? Do I have one? My cedar redwoods. Uh, they grow in California. All right? Now, in comparison to some of the... Uh, some other trees in the world. Let, let's see the comparison. They, are, they grow up to sometimes 300 feet, right? So these are some large trees. That is a cedar. That's the tallest cedar wood in the world. You can't really see, but do you know what this building is? Do you know what that building is? That's Big Ben, right? For some of us that have seen Big Ben, you know how tall Big Ben is. Well, the cedar redwood is way, the tallest one is way taller than Big Ben. Can you see it? They are massive trees. They go up to 300. The tallest one is almost 400 feet. That is about 37 stories high. Imagine that kind of tree. How stable it must be to be able to stand like that. But do you know one odd fact about them? Because you say, ah, the only way it can stand like that. You know, if we have skyscrapers, you know one of the most important things about skyscrapers is what? The foundation. The foundation must go very deep. And so for a cedar redwood to, to be very tall in, and very strong in that way, it's because its roots must go very deep, right? Whilst it goes 300 feet, most of the roots don't go below, don't go below five to six feet into the ground. Five to six feet. That makes no sense whatsoever. Do you understand? That makes what? No sense whatsoever. Listen, if you have a very tall person, if you know a very tall person, you want to injure them, just kick them somewhere here. They'll fall. If any of you tries to do that to me, they can find me, I know, because don't allow jealousy to... Uh, it's not my fault. He has a low center of gravity. Thank the Lord for that. Where's Tommy? Yeah, Tommy as well, but we are not there. Huh? Six feet down, at most, but it can go 300 feet. Do you know why that happens? It is because it has, show next slide, it has a complex set of roots. And these roots often intertwine. The root of this tree is going to intertwine with the root of the next tree. Show the next one. Can you see it? The root, but you may not be able to see, but the roots of this tree intertwine with the root of another tree. I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. Each stands strong, not simply because they have roots, but because they are rooted in each other. They are able to stand, not because they are alone. They are able to stand because they stand one another. And that is why any picture you see of redwoods, you can never see a redwood standing alone. They are always in community. If we are going to stand well in the Lord, part of what happens when we go into the Lord is that He gives us a heart for His people. And as we go into His people, we stand strong. As we go into the Lord, please make no mistake. It's not that we now go away from ourselves. It's that we get more intimate with ourselves. Amen. There's one more twist to that. Because sometimes the truth is, it is hard to pursue intimacy with God on your own. You try. And the moment you start, you are sleeping. And after you have asked God to forgive you for sleeping, because the moment somebody sent another video to you, you weren't sleeping. You, you know what I'm saying. Stop looking at me like you don't do it now. I've never done it, but I know you have done it. And so sometimes, actually, what happens is I need Pastor Cole to help me. I need to hear Gloria singing. I need to hear Barbara singing. And as they sing, 
even though they don't sing better than I do, but as they sing with the gift that God has given them, I'm able to enter into the presence of the Lord. Let me tell you this. For those of us, this is not, this is, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just speaking to you. If you are fond of coming late to church, you are fond of missing the adoration part. Let me tell you what you are missing. You are missing the help that God has given for us to pursue intimacy together. Sometimes your life continues, your Christian life continues to be shallow shape because all you are waiting for is the sermon to give you something to be able to do through the week. Whereas what you really need, the sermon is okay, but what you really need is to enter into the presence of God. And whilst you couldn't do that on your own in the week, when the Lord gets the ministers that he has trained as they sing, as Olumide was helping us to reflect, to remember what God has done, we are able to enter into the presence of the Lord. No red boot stands alone. As we go in, we will go out to be intimate with each other. And as we are intimate with each other, we will enable each other to go back into the Lord. Are you following me? Communal fruitfulness. Second thing. There will be an abundance of reaping of souls. You see, after we read 33 verse 18, which says that rejoice Zebulon in your going out and Issachar in your tent. In verse 19, the next verse, this is what it says. It says, they will summon peoples to the mountains and there offer the sacrifices of the righteous. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous. In other words, they will summon people who previously were not able to offer the sacrifice of the righteous. Why? Because they were not righteous. Or let me put it another way. Remember it says, rejoice, rejoice. But it now says it's summoning other people to come and rejoice with them. If you ever enjoy a thing, what do you do? You want to share it with other people. So, for instance, people who did not believe that Arsenal will stand strong. No, 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 no distraction, please. Where's Tomisi? Tomisi, where are you? Please stand. Everybody give her, give her a round of applause. Give her a round. Give, uh, if you don't rejoice with us, we will rejoice with you. As if they sweet us, if they pain them. Pastor Cole, eh? Uh-huh. Man City, Drew. Eh, eh, Man U. Okay, they won one year, but that, who, who cares about Man U? They are not. Do you understand? See, I can't lie to you. Arsenal, they sweet me. That's why you are hearing about it. If you rejoice in something, the completion of your rejoicing is when you call others. Come, uh, they say, magnify the Lord with me. Exalt the name of Jesus. Magnify the Lord with me. Exalt the name of God too late. <laughs> the point is this. It's not just magnify the Lord, but magnify the Lord what? With me. And so if you have tasted that the Lord is good, do you know what you do? You say, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we've gone in. We've tasted in the intimacy of the Lord. And we then say, you who is afar, come and also taste. But they cannot enter into the sacred tent of the Lord. They are still far. But you know one of the things we found out when we spent time with the Lord? We heard the heartbeat of God for the lost. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. And so, we now all of a sudden, you see, the truth is, 
Many times, let's not lie, we look at people who their sin has actually brought them into ruin and be like, if only they just listened. You look at some of the celebrities who used to claim to be Christians and then even though they're claiming to be Christians, they live certain lives and then somehow there's public shame. You say, hey, is it not good for them? If only they were not sinful. You say it, we don't. And yet we'll still be dancing to their songs. Can I ask you a question? When last did your favorite celebrity, your favorite secular celebrity, singer, when last did they do something embarrassing, something shameful, and rather than share it with somebody, you went on your knees to pray for them? Can I tell you, if you are spending time with God, the first thing you are going to do, is not, it's, this is not, it's not mechanical. The first thing you are going to do is that you, you see God's heart for them and your heart is beating in resonance with God's heart. You are going to say, God, do not allow this person to perish. And as we start praying, that's exactly what Jesus told us to do in Matthew chapter 9. When he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he then says, ask the Lord. You will have been asking because you have been in the secret place of the Lord. And at some point, the more you keep asking, the Lord says, go out right now, for there is a harvest for you to reap. I can assure you guys, as we go in, as we go out, we will be able to summon people who could not offer the sacrifices of the righteous, but because of our relationship with the Lord, they shall say that the Lord is good as well. And in that verse 19, he adds another part. He's going to give us everything we need to accomplish that goal. He says, they will. They, not the people that offer the sacrifice righteous, but the ones that go in and come out. They will feast on the abundance of seas, on the treasures in hidden sand. In other words, what he's saying is this, and we talked about the last year, when we were talking about money, God will bring resources into our hands. Why? Because now the resources cannot destroy us. Why? Because now money is no longer going to be our God. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you have practiced a life of going into God, and practiced a life of seeing how beautiful God is, when you look at money, it does not look to you as a God. It looks to you as a tool. And now a tool for spreading the kingdom. Not only will he give us money, he will give us ideas. Maybe we have been doing evangelism in one way or the other. Dami gave us some ideas that were hidden in the sand last year. Some other people came to speak to us. We are going to do new things this year in the name of Jesus. Because we have spent time with the Lord, we are going to say, how can I reach that person? How can I reach? If it doesn't work, we say, let's try another one. Why? Because we don't want anyone to perish. Because that's the heart of our God. will give us all these resources because as we go in we will go out so that we can reap the harvest of those who never once offered a sacrifice as righteous people God will make them righteous as we go to the third one let me tell you what the third one is because this one better get excited we shall see signs and wonders in the name of Jesus listen we thank God for some of the great things that God has done in City Church. He has done some things he has done. He has not stopped doing what he wants to do. Listen, we have not yet seen, we have not seen it all. Can we be honest with ourselves? We have what not? We've not seen it. But God, if we spend time with the Lord, if you spend time with the Lord, there is no how. See, whenever you, connectivity leads to intimacy, but intimacy leads to authority. If you, I've read some of the things about some of the mighty men of God that have done mighty things. Some of them, yes, some of their character wasn't great, all of that. Almost without fail, they never see God do great things without them spending intense time with the Lord. 
Bring up that Psalm 65 one more time. Psalm 65 verse 4. Blessed are those you choose to bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. So wait. So he brought them near to spend time in, their, in his court. Right? To treat his court like an Airbnb. No, no, no. To what? To live. If they live in his court, now look at verse 5. You answer us with what? And righteous did awesome deeds. Awesome deeds. If you spend time with the Almighty, you will see the mighty deeds of the Almighty in your life. Signs and wonders. Now, do you know why they are called signs and wonders? First of all, the things that we do make people wonder. And when they wonder, they are attracted to the thing that made them wonder. But that thing that made them wonder, we're not going to call miracle because if we just call miracle, it can attract them to you and you will stay, you will keep them with yourself. But if it is a sign that made them wonder, the sign will say this sign is pointing somewhere else and we'll take them to Jesus. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. They were speaking in tongues and they said, are these people drunk? It was a wonder. But we hear them speaking in our own languages. They were attracted and immediately Peter did not say, do you see how great we are? He says, there is a Jesus who was crucified but he is now risen again. Guys, as we spend time, I pray that the Lord will enable us to raise the dead. Somebody says, ah, no, but that was a particular time. That was a, for a time for a people. No, it was for the people that spent time in the Lord. If you spend time with the Lord, the, the, is it an incredible thing for God to raise the dead? In the name of Jesus, Father Lord, I pray that you send your power in this house again. Father, I pray that people will lay hands on the sick and they shall rise. I pray that people will prophesy to dry bones and they shall live again. Bring us into your court once again in the name of Jesus. As we live in his courts, he endures us with power. And then there's one more thing. If we have power, if we have power, we use power for good for those who are suffering. But for those who are evil, the evil kingdom, ah, there will be terror in the enemy's camp. The last thing is that there will be victory in spiritual warfare victory in spiritual warfare. Someone say, ah, I thought we were spending time with God. Did we speak about he is good, he is kind, we've never seen his kind? Did we not sing about him being love and light? Right? And we talked about his grace. What does spending time being intimate with God, what does that have to do with fighting spiritual battles? Everything everything you see this God that we talk about or let me put it this way Jesus himself that made a way for us to enter Jesus that we want to fellowship with Jesus says he is still in heaven 1 Corinthians 5 verse 26 he is still in heaven waiting until what he puts all his enemies under his footstool all his enemies under his feet you see Jesus is the son of David and David, if there was somebody that knew the intimacy with God, sure you know David knew intimacy with God, huh? right? Maybe half or a third of the Psalms are written by David. He's the one that longs for God. He's the one that says, one thing have I desired, right? And that I will seek only to dwell in your courts all the days of my life. It is David that said all of these things. 
And David in Psalm 144 said, Blessed be the Lord my strength who teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. In verse 2, he says that he is the one that makes all my enemies come under me. He's my rock. He's my deliverer. He's my strong fortress. He is my shield. And he is the one that puts my enemies, what? Under my feet. Jesus is a lamb, yes. But Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. As king, he fights. Because his father David had already shown him what to do. But David didn't just fight alone. Do you know what David needed? David needed an army. And let me tell you, as an army, what does an army do? An army needs certain things to be able to fight the war very well. An army needs two things, I can tell you. One, wisdom. Two, experience in using weapons. One, wisdom. Two, experience in using what? Experience in using what? wisdom. So first, let's think about this. David that I just spoke about, David had people that fought with him. After he was now about to be made king, after Saul had died, they wanted to bring David to Israel and to now make him king. But they said something about David fighting men according to the tribe. This is, look at 1 Chronicles chapter 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verse, uh, 12 verse 23. It says, these are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to, source kingdom, uh, to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. Now stop. He's going to talk about the tribes, but we're not interested in all, in all the tribes. We're only interested in the one that goes in and the one that goes out. Remember, what did I say was needed for fighting a battle? You need what? Wisdom and you need what? Experience in weaponry. In verse 20, in verse 32, this is what he says about the ones that go in. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should what do. When God, when you go in with God, what is God going to bless us with? He's going to bless us with wisdom. The wisdom that fights his battles. And in verse 33, look at what he says about Zebulon. From Zebulon, experienced soldiers. May the Lord help us in the name of Jesus. Experienced soldiers prepared for battle with every type of weapon to help David. We are not fighting for David. We are fighting for the greater David. The one who is making all his enemies under his footstool. Please don't bring a bifurcation between the lamb and the lion. They are the same. We go in intimacy with the lamb. And because we do that, they, we become bold. And the Bible says they're bold as ferocious as a lion. And then we go out and fight for the Lord. Yes, he is good and he is kind. But he is also the mighty man of war. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.